Welcome to Nature Centered, a podcast from Wild Birds Unlimited about feeding the birds and enjoying nature right in your own backyard. Here are your hosts, naturalist John Schaust and Brian Cunningham. Hey everyone, I'm John Schaust. And I'm Brian Cunningham. And welcome to episode four of Nature Centered. And today's topic, bluebirds, the deceiving charmers. Yes, they are truly one of the most charming of all birds, but they do have a really big secret. Okay, John, deceiving charmers, <laughs> bluebirds, such a lovely, joyful, cheer-bringing bird. <laughs> Where are yeah. we going with this one today? Well, we, you know, there's, there's just one of the most popular birds around, and they do have a big secret that we'll kind of keep until a little later in the show to reveal and let everybody know. So anyway, we're going to talk about how the uh, bluebirds, obviously, and we're going to talk about how to enhance your backyard and attract these amazing birds, which is something that is becoming more and more common. Plus, we're also going to have a fun activity like we usually do that you can do with the kids or the grandkids. So stick around for the fun. Okay, John. So bluebirds. <laughs> bluebirds bring in the joy, all sorts of cheer. But uh, yeah, deceiving charmer. This is going to be fun to talk about. It is. And you know, who doesn't love bluebirds when it gets right down to it? They are a charmer. They, And what a year. What an absolute year I've had at my backyard uh, in regards to this winter. Man, I probably anywhere from six to ten bluebirds at a time coming to my feeders in my backyard for most of the winter. And man, you look out there on a drab winter day and you see that gorgeous blue bluebird. Uh, I, if that doesn't bring a smile to your face, I don't know what what will. And then again, I've already had my first uh, my first brood of uh, bluebirds uh, fledge their young out of one of my nesting boxes here in my yard. So that was an exciting day and was able to get some video of, uh, of the birds since they nested and came back and fed young. So we'll try to post that on our uh, show notes page and see if we can get that uploaded and, and uh, see if you can watch these parents uh, dutifully feeding their youngsters in the nest box. So it's just been a banner year. And, and again... Gosh, you know, just brings joy to your heart every time you see these things. You know, I, th- I think you're going to make a lot of people a little envious of your backyard. <laughs> and, you know, you were talking to having them through the winter time, and this spring having nesting pairs and the babies are already out. Um, it was really fun being able to feed them this winter time at the office. Uh, and then also I've had a pair that has been hanging around for about the last year. They, they toyed with the idea of nesting last spring uh, even started a little nest but then they moved on i was sad but uh this year super excited because that pair is back they have started a nest they're feeding nestlings right now it's such a joy so much fun to hear them talking in the yard to see them bouncing around and carrying lots of food uh bluebirds amazing how much cheer how much joy they bring such a celebrated bird yeah songs poems gets people so excited when they see bluebirds out in nature really excited when they see them in their yards but and you know what it it wasn't always that way i mean again Mm -hmm. we we always seem to fall in this trap of i'm the old guy and you're a little younger and you know back in the old days but the bottom line is you know (laughs) back in the 70s when i started birding and really seriously you know trying to find different birds that i wanted to see one of those birds on the list was a bluebird. They were that uncommon. You literally had to go out and try to find one of these. To have them in your backyard, coming to your feeders, nesting in your backyard, 
That is so cool and something that's just happened over the last probably, be what, 20, 20 years? Maybe it's a, a change in the last 20 years or so. So it's, it's been great. To, fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. True so it's conservation great. success story. So, what bluebirds are we talking about today? Well, we have three different kinds of bluebirds in North America, three species that just steal our hearts. We have the eastern, we have the western, and we have the mountain bluebirds. And they're all cavity nesters. So they'll also use artificial nest boxes, which is pretty cool because, you know, you live in any kind of habitat where you get one or, or maybe even two of those species. You can try to allure them in uh, to raise a family in your yard. One of the interesting things is each one of those bluebirds, eastern, western, and mountain, they all have blue in them. And it's this brilliant, shiny blue if you've never seen one. But, you know, maybe this is what you're talking about. Uh, <laughs> a little secret. Are well, they really blue? Okay, it busted. I wasn't going to reveal <laughs> the secret quite this early, but yeah, okay, we can go there now. Uh, that's that's cool. Uh, yeah, you know, it's uh, one of my favorite things that, uh, you know, in the literature, you, you hear a lot of things about bluebirds, you know, the bluebird happiness. Uh, Henry David Thoreau wrote a little poem, and he talked about the bluebirds carrying the sky on their back because of that brilliant, dazzling blue. <laughs> but here's the shocker. Here's the revelation of the moment. It's all a big lie. <laughs> it's basically an illusion. Uh, bluebirds, in on in fact, are not blue. At least they have no blue coloration in their feathers. And let me explain so, that. Yeah, so go ahead. that blue coloration. So we're saying there's no blue pigment in their feathers absolutely right? cardinals are red because there's red pigment in their feathers crows are black because there's black pigment in their feathers i defined you to find one grain of blue pigment in the feathers of a bluebird it just doesn't exist and here's a cool thing that you can do the pigment that is in there is actually kind of a it's a melanistic uh, kind of a gray pigment and if you ever find, and this is not true just for bluebirds, it's also blue jays and indigo buntings, uh, but if you find like a blue jay feather in your backyard and you pick that feather up and you hold it down below your waist uh, in front of you and you look at it, the light is hitting that feather. And when you, and it's blue, when you put it up and have the light come through it, it's gray. So what is going on there anyway? So John, what you're talking about there is very much like a prism and how when light is hitting that feather at just the right angle the light is going onto that feather and when you start to think about you know, the kind of the biology and science of it that feather is really thin and on the top layer of that feather there's a section as the light enters in little spongy pocket uh, area where now all the light and the colors of that wavelength are going into that feather and blue is being reflected back while all the other colors of that light rainbow are now being absorbed into the feather. So like I said, it's like a prism. You just got to get that sun hitting just the right angle for it to reflect back to your eye. Otherwise, if you ever see a blue bird, blue jay, indigo bunting that's backlit, they just look like a little gray bird. It's pretty stunning when you think about it. Bluebirds that aren't really blue. Uh, but it, another way to think of this, too, it's kind of like the uh, the sky. And, you know, Thoreau was talking about the bluebirds carried the sky on their backs. And it is a similar color to the deep, rich blue sky that you get. And actually, our sky is blue because of a very similar process. All the little microscopic dust particles or even larger dust particles that are in the uh, atmosphere 
cause the same reaction with the sunlight. It, it diffuses all the other wavelengths, the reds, the yellows, the greens, and only allows the blue to our eyes. So that's uh, uh, actually validating for Thoreau. Uh, the, the bluebird really does carry the sky on their back. So very, very cool. Very, very neat. And it's our, it's our big mystery solved today and our secret revealed. So anyway, there's... Yeah, but, but John, it's more than just the blue um, that... I know myself and plenty of other people love to experience bluebirds because you start to think about their song and that song is just ever about cheer, cheer, cheerful, cheerful charmer. Now, bluebirds are typically seen as that symbol of happiness, you know, that Mr. Bluebird's on my shoulder, like we mentioned before. But yeah, I think it'd be really cool. We should play the, the call of each of the different bluebirds. You know, if you listen to like the Eastern bluebird, you know, having a mnemonic to say, so what does that bluebird sound like to when I hear it to put a, some words to uh, what uh, I think uh, it might uh, be saying? A uh, uh, what? <laughs> a mnemonic. Yeah, it's like it's putting those words to so what I can kind of equate to, that's what it sounds like. So when I hear it, it'll help me remember. So I'll give you an example, like Eastern Bluebird, uh, they will say, cheer, cheerful charmer. Cheer, cheerful charmer. And it almost sounds like they have some marbles in their mouth oh, while they say okay, it. Okay, okay, let's play the tape and prove that, right? <laughs> Cheer, cheerful charmer. Well, there you go. That wasn't too bad, was it? Not too bad. Yeah, the Western bluebird um, is a little more straightforward. It pretty much, you know, the way I always think about it is the Western bluebird just says, cheer, cheer, and says it at different intervals, but generally just says the word cheer, and it does sound pretty cheerful. Cheer, cheer. Brian, I think we've missed out on one of your talents here. <laughs> I speak bird. <laughs> the other is the mountain bluebird, um, kind of a, in the middle. Um, if you live or visit up into upper elevations, um, get up into some mountains and listen to that mountain bluebird, I always equate to what they say is more like a cheer, cheer, cheerful. Cheer, cheer, cheerful. A subtle difference, right? It is a subtle difference, but, but there's some difference in there, you know, and it's not just about songs. I mean, everyone loves to see or hear bluebirds out in the wild, but um, having them in your own backyards, super cool. And like you said previously, that wasn't always the case. Yeah, this is one of the really true um, success stories, uh, conservation success stories. Uh, bluebird numbers really crashed uh, during the uh, late 1800s and most of the 1900s. Uh, Probably because of habitat loss, uh, competition we brought in from Europe, a couple of species of birds, the starling and the European house sparrow, that compete for cavity nesting space. Uh, bluebirds nest in old woodpecker holes or old uh, rotten places in, in timbers or wherever it might be. They're, they're what we call a secondary nester, cavity nester, use a, a previous bird's cavity. And uh, so do house sparrows and starlings, and they took over a lot of that type of habitat. So their numbers really, really declined pretty dramatically. At one point, I believe the numbers were somewhere around about a 90% decline in population. That's just but, incredible number yeah, to think yeah. bluebirds, at least the eastern bluebird was down 90% in population. 
Yeah, and it is really one of the success stories in the sense of it that was recognized. It, people started realizing that uh, because of the lack of nesting cavity space for these birds, that if we provided it with artificial nesting boxes, which the bluebirds adapted to, that we could actually start helping them. And my gosh, have we helped them? Uh, I think what what's the, what's the percentage? About two and a half percent per year since the early uh, mid '60s. Uh, their yes. population's been of the eastern bluebird uh, uh, has been increasing. Uh, so it, it really has helped, and it is just a perfect example of what people can do to help wildlife. And we'll talk a little bit in, in a few minutes of what you can do in your own backyard to help bluebirds today uh, continue their, their increase in population. Yeah, it's been really, really neat to see this early conservation success story and how it's a great example of we can still do some great bird conservation success stories even today. So taken from this example. Yeah, you want to, a lot of it comes to habitat. We talked about the habitat, the breeding habitat, the nesting cavities, but a lot of it has to do with, with food. And, and uh, you know, every bird has to have uh, quite an quite a, um, abundance of food to raise young and, and to survive themselves, especially through winter conditions. Um, so bluebirds, uh, like everybody else, uh, they take on about, what I think, uh, 12% of their body weight, something in the neighborhood of about four grams of, of food per day in the form of, depending what time of the year, they love insects in the, in the uh, uh, summer and uh, spring. Uh, they feed on things like grasshoppers and beetles and crickets and, and spiders and larvae of, uh, you know, little caterpillars of moss and butterflies and, and things like that. So somewhere in the neighborhood, I think the statistic I, I looked at somewhere was that and they eat about 12% of their body weight. So if you weigh 200 pounds as a human being, you'd be eating 24 pounds of food a day. So so that's, that's a lot of food. You know, when people say, oh, you, you eat like a bird, and they always mean you're just kind of pecking at your food. You don't eat a whole lot. Yeah, yeah. They haven't really watched how much food a bird eats. You know, thinking, yeah, that 200-pound person eating that's like 24 pounds of food a day i was looking you know think about a whopper or a quarter pounder that's almost a <laughs> hundred of them a day whoa birds eat so much food Crazy. it's a dream come true <laughs> <laughs> if we could just dive in and do that um, it's always fascinating to me too how how do these bluebirds find their food uh, the eastern and the western bluebirds have a really cool um, foraging technique how you know, they chase down their food um, called drop hunting and just just really neat where they will sit up high on a perch and it could be on top of an s box it could be on a bush it could be on a tree and what they'll do is they sit up there and they survey the area and they can see just blows my mind that even in just some tall grass they can see caterpillars or insects or beetles over 50 yards away i struggle out of my own yard just to see little caterpillars you know, a few feet away. They can see them up to 50 yards away and they will sit on that perch and fly down and pounce on them by not with their feet, but they'll actually grab them with their bill and consume them or take them back to the nest for the babies, which is really, really neat to see. Yeah, and Brian, one of the cool things is while our eastern and western bluebirds do the, the drop hunting, our mountain bluebirds have a totally different technique. And if you think about it, being high in the mountains, not a lot of perches for them to sit on and drop from. They've learned a whole different technique where they literally will hold steady in the air, hover up in the air, beating their wings, and just drop and, and drop from the air, not from a branch, and pounce on the critters that are down on the rocks and things on the mountain. So very, very cool. Just a little subtle difference, but all based on the environment. 
still spring and summer, they're mostly insect eaters and, and do the drop planting that Brian was talking about. Uh, fall and winter, they kind of shift a big portion of their diet and, and uh, shift to berries. Uh, we're going to, again, talk about some things you can do in your own backyard. But one of the main things is uh, they love things like dogwoods and, and blueberries and black cherry and uh, winter creeper holly and all kinds of different things. Uh, so they, they are fruit eaters during the winter time, and, uh, and that's how they survive the lack of insects that are around in the winter time. Uh, but they also readily, as we've talked about, come to feeders, and there's lots of things we have learned uh, to uh, attract, attract them into our feeders and to offer. And, and uh, it's been fun over the years to kind of play with different foods and see them adapt and start using these different foods. Yeah, it's pretty cool how the birds are out there and they're hunting in the wild and the things they're feeding on. But it's also really fun attracting them to our own backyard. So how can we be attracting bluebirds into our yards? Well, let's talk some of their favorite foods that you can be offering. And so number one, mealworms live mealworms or even dried mealworms but bluebirds love those mealworms they're imitating the caterpillars and insects they're already eating in the wild another is really cool product is called bark butter bits as well sunflower chips and then sometimes in that winter uh, you can also put out a blend that would have dried fruits in it uh, but bluebirds love all these different kinds of foods and you can put them in one of their favorite ways to approach a feeder and find food would be something like a tray style feeder. Uh, we have one of my favorite feeders ever, the dinner bell feeder, because <laughs> yeah, John, John and I talk about this all the time. Yep, it's my favorite feeder because it's a tray style feeder and it has an adjustable roof. So it protects the food, it protects the birds when they come, especially you get, you know, rainy weather, snowy weather. Uh, but it's really easy to put lots of food in there and even the bluebird's favorite foods. You could even do a cup style feeder or larger or smaller tray feeders, but the bluebirds really wanna be able to see what's in there, be able to feel comfortable to come and approach. And I know there's a one feeder that I've had a lot of fun with. I know, John, you've been having a lot of fun with too. Yeah, it's, it's talk about a special winter. I mentioned earlier how many bluebirds I was getting. We are developing a brand new uh, window feeder that attaches to your window. It's a modified tray feeder. And uh, uh, Brian and I have both been testing this feeder out uh, at work and at home. And that is the feeder that the vast majority of my bluebirds came to most of the winter. So can you imagine in your family room, sitting there where you're able to watch that window at all times, and you have three or four bluebirds landing on this little tray feeder on your window right in front of your eyes. Unbelievable. It was spectacular. So uh, we're still testing that one, but uh, hopefully we'll bring that to market sometime soon and everybody else can experience it too. You know, John, there is one more must-have. If you want bluebirds in your yard, you need a bird bath. Mm -hmm. Bluebirds are part of the thrush family, just like robins are in the thrush family. And they not just drink, but they love to bathe. And it's so much fun to watch those bluebirds dipping into the water and preening their feathers. So you got to have a bird bath in your yard as well. Absolutely. And Brian, as always, we don't want to be remiss and not add something fun for family and kids to do. And You've got a really special one for bluebirds this week. I do fun kids activity where you can make your own blue like a bluebird feather. And you can do that by making a homemade prism. And you don't have to go buy a prism. If you have a prism, that's super easy. Then put it in the sunlight or shine a flashlight through it 
and try to find that rainbow of color that separates out and find it on a wall or find it on a piece of paper that you can put out there to capture those colors on it and really start to see that blue. Remember in that whole rainbow, all the colors are being absorbed into the feather except the blue. And the blue is the only one bouncing back to our eyes. So the rainbow is just the evidence of all of the colors that are in the light. The prism is separating out those colors so now you can see them. But if you don't have a prism, something you can try, take a cylindrical glass, and if the sun is shining, set it on a windowsill if that sun's shining through. And then you can find that rainbow coming off of that makeshift prism of just taking a cylindrical glass and filling it with water and putting it on the windowsill. Um, now, I don't have any <laughs> windows that have light that shine directly into a room. It's a lot more ambient lighting because I have lots of trees in my yard, lots of great bird habitat. So what I did was I went outside, took my glass of water, and I put a, you need a white kind of piece of paper or a white sheet or a white piece of cardboard. And I held the glass above my head, catching the sunlight and catching that reflection of, of brightness down on that white sheet of paper. Now, tip, you wanna put a little bit of shade over that white piece of paper. And I was able to do that with my head. I'm shading that, <laughs> but the glass was above my head catching the sunlight. and. The key is you just got to get it high enough. I had to go about eight feet high. I'm kind of tall. I can reach up. And, uh, and then you can start to see that rainbow on that piece of paper. So fun little things. Play around <laughs> with it. See if you can start to create your own little prisms and make your own little blue like a bluebird feather. Another hidden talent I didn't know about. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, as part of our uh, uh, Wild Birds Unlimited Save the Songbird uh, initiative, we always want to add in something about how to be a, a, a good steward and uh, provide habitat for whatever bird we're talking about. And for bluebirds, it's really, really easy in the sense of, uh, we mentioned before, some of the, the plantings you can do around your yard that produce berries in the fall and, and that uh, you know endure through the winter for food. Uh, very, very important. Uh, also, native plants for all of the caterpillars and the, the beetles and, and other insects that are available in the spring and the summer for them to feed them uh, themselves and their young. Uh, Brian's already mentioned the importance of water. Uh, leaving dead snags safely, you know, and, uh, making sure that you're not endangering anybody by leaving a dead tree standing, but leaving a dead snag that may have a, a natural nesting cavity from a woodpecker or whatever, uh, so that they have a place, a natural place to, to nest. And really one of the most important things is really, really consider not using herbicides and pesticides around your yard. Uh, obviously that takes out the insects uh, and, and uh, endangers the, the bluebirds in regards to food source and everything else. So, and uh, another thing people do, and I, Brian and I both mentioned we have nesting bluebirds. Uh, we could talk all day about nesting. And matter of fact, we're going to do just that probably on our next show. Uh, so we're going to talk about nesting boxes and things for bluebirds and other birds next week. So make sure you uh, look at the National Wildlife uh, Certified Wildlife Habitat Program uh, on WBU.com or NWF.org. Uh, Wild Birds Unlimited is the champion for this program and will help you with habitat in your backyard. So I think as we've proven, we could talk all day and longer uh, about bluebirds because they are just so cool. They're truly charming. I, I just love the way that they, 
you know, like I mentioned, they share the feeder together. They work together during nestings to watch the male and female sitting on a little tree branch, drop hunting for the and getting food for the young. They're beautiful to look at and they're beautiful to listen to. So, what I did, I think again, we little little deception there with the coloration, but I think we proved that they are truly a really charming bird. Yes, John, I think we did. And once again, lots of fun to be able to talk about them. Love to give examples and give tips to help people learn more as well as be able to attract them to their own yard. So hope everyone had as much fun as we did today. On behalf of all of us here at Wild Birds Unlimited, we thank you for joining us for Nature Centered. And please join us next time when we plan to talk about nesting. But as we always say, we're going to let nature be our guide. Take care and please be safe. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening to this episode of Nature Centered. To subscribe to this podcast, for show notes, or to connect with the Wild Birds Unlimited store nearest you, visit wbu.com podcast. Until we meet again, take some time to relax, enjoy the birds, get out in your backyard, and stay nature-centered.